you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. West Virginia, where I live, isn't handling the coronavirus well. I've been surprised up to now how well the officials have done, but the people are stupid as dog shit. They couldn't help themselves if their lives depended on it. And they do. 75 new COVID cases traced back to seven churches in West Virginia. I talked about QAnon last week. Well, we've had some serious developments since the video released. They've been kicked off Twitter. And some of the members are starting to question the grand plan. The ex-Jehovah's Witness movement took a serious blow recently when the religion won a lawsuit to prevent people from releasing their propaganda films. It's big news, and we're going to have to talk about it. But before we take a look at all that, let's listen to some voicemails. Don't forget, if you want to call in and leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. That's 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hey, Owen. I wanted to ask you if you think that most um, parents would be considered cult leaders, because if you look at the bite model, I'd say most parents would fall, like, would hit most of the criteria. But, of course, they do have to limit their children in some way, since... Their children are still growing and developing and their parents have to teach them things. Yeah, thank you. Are parents cult leaders? That's really the question because they tick a lot of the boxes on the bite model. Um, I actually get this question a lot. The short answer is no. Now let me explain why. This is called the influence continuum. Now, I've talked about this in the past a few times. It's by Stephen Hassan, who is the guy who actually wrote the bite model. The influence continuum determines if influence is positive or negative. So you you have to kind of use this in tandem with the bite model in a lot of ways. If you're dealing with an individual or or you're working on an individual level, you're going to want to see if the influence is constructive or destructive. Are the individuals encouraging you to be your authentic self, or are they trying to program in a false cult identity? Do they love you unconditionally, or is the love conditional? Do they encourage you to use your conscience, or do they want you to use their doctrine as a basis for your conscience? Do they encourage creativity and humor, or solemnity, fear, and guilt? Do they encourage free will and critical thinking, Or do they encourage dependency and obedience? Generally speaking, parents are going to encourage children's creativity and humor. They're going to encourage critical thinking and free will. They're going to love them unconditionally. There isn't really a doctrine, quote-unquote, within a family that you have to follow. And they're going to try to help you be your authentic self in an ideal situation. There are cases in which parents destructively and unhealthily influence their children and that's a bad thing and it should be addressed by psychologists but for the most part the family unit in an ideal world is constructive and healthy there are a lot of groups that uh, the bite model can apply to and in some cases it's just absurd to apply the bite model to some of these groups. Like for example, the Grateful Dead. If you look at like a Grateful Dead concert, you'll see a lot of the points on the bite model apply to them. It's just a band and a concert, it's not a cult. So you have to look at whether or not they're influencing them destructively to see if it's actually a cult. Usually I try to use the influence continuum in tandem with the bite model. Hey, Owen. This is Charles from Texas. I've been watching your channel a lot recently, and I noticed, uh, especially in the last couple months, you're doing all these, is this certain group of cults, this certain group getting further and further away from the biggest religious uh, organizations. And uh, I was driving around one day and had a fun thought of uh, the Jedi Order from Star Wars. Um, I was uh, just kind of thinking about all the cult tendencies that I saw 
within uh, the movies. Um, I haven't gotten to rewatch them yet, but I kind of want to go back through and see uh, if I can identify some of the by model uh, flags for the uh, Colt, uh, the bite model. Uh, but yeah, I thought it would be kind of fun to, if you had the time to talk about uh, the Jada order and whether or not you uh, would identify it as a cult. Thank you. Bye. That is a really interesting question. Is the Jedi Order a cult? And I've actually talked about this on my channel before. I had a whole discussion with Chris Shelton about whether or not the Jedi Order is a cult. And the answer or the conclusion that I came to is that, yes, it is. Chris Shelton, I think, disagreed with me. But he said that they had some serious cult-like tendencies that were very disturbing. And in an ideal world, there would probably be a counter-movement to try to combat the bad behavior of the Jedi Order. They hit all of the markers, really, on the bite model in some way. But I've heard two main pushbacks against it. The first one is, it's real. If it's real, it's not a cult, right? No, that's, that is inaccurate. Every cult thinks that it's real. If that was one of the criteria to determine if something was a cult or not, then literally nothing would be considered a cult because everybody thinks that theirs is real. So that's the first pushback. Is it real? It doesn't matter. The second pushback is they are wielding real power, and it, and it is really dangerous and if you don't train it in this very specific way, if you don't train the people and help them learn to use that power safely, then they will get people killed. And my pushback against that is I don't really care if that's required or not. It's unethical. They need to find an ethical way to deal with this power that doesn't involve basically controlling people's minds. It's just straight up wrong. So, there's your answer. Is the Jedi Order a cult? Yes. They should reform and find some way to do what they do without using cult-like tactics. Hey, Owen. My name is Catherine, and I'm from North Carolina. Um, so, as a parent like yourself, um, I used to be religious and I used to be very Christian Baptist um, faith-based. My husband is an atheist and actually my husband was the one who, um, I guess, helped me take get me out of the church. There was just a lot of family issues and a lot of things I didn't agree with. But the question that I want to ask is, is both of our families are still very religious and we have a child together. And one of the things that him and I have agreed on is to raise our child with no religion. Um, but we <laughs> have family members who would disagree greatly. And how would you approach that? Because I know your mother is still a devout Jehovah's Witness. Um, but how would you approach it if you're still in contact with your family and based on religion? Thank you so much. And thank you for all you do. Bye. Very interesting question. So how do you deal with the fact that you have religious family members and you don't want them indoctrinating your kid? I don't think my daughter has seen my mom in like a, a, a long time, but she used to go there for the summer. And I told her one of the stipulations for going there for like a couple of weeks to see her or whatever is she can't ram that stuff down her throat. She has to give her room to breathe. She can't try to indoctrinate her literally the entire time she's there. It, leave Jehovah out of it completely. Don't even bring it up. Jehovah's Witnesses have this belief called theocratic warfare. It's, this, it's the idea that lying and cheating and manipulating anything, anything is justified if it means you're furthering the goals of the Watchtower Society. So that's what I found my mom was doing. She was lying to me. She said, okay, I will leave Jehovah out of it completely. We'll not talk to her about it. And she just straight up lied. She lied to me, intentionally, knowingly told me a lie 
because she wanted Kylie to go there and she wanted to try to indoctrinate her anyways. And it came to the point where Kylie was actually talking about getting baptized as a Jehovah's Witness. So for the next like year, basically, I spent the whole year trying to deprogram her. I didn't really want to turn Kylie into an atheist. That was not my intention. I told her that I'm an atheist, which opened the door for her to realize that being a Christian isn't the only option. But I had to poke holes in religion to deprogram her from Jehovah's Witnesses, basically, and point out how absurd some of this stuff is. Like, can you really take it seriously if they're telling you that man was created 6,000 years ago? Can you really take them seriously in that case? Like, that, that is completely absurd at its face. And I explained to Kylie why that is absurd. I explained how the world works, like how evolution works. I taught her critical thinking skills and stuff like that. At the end of it, now she tells me that she is an atheist, but she has historically gone to church with her grandma every, like, Wednesday night, basically, up until the pandemic hit. And I've been okay with that because her grandma's church, not my mom, but her other grandmother, her grandma's church is super chill. Like, they don't hate anybody for anything. They're not extremists. They're not nutcases. They're not a cult. And that's what I really, really care about. But going into this, to answer your question more directly, you're probably going to have to assume that the family's going to lie to you about it. I don't know how extreme your group is, like the group that you came from. The, the more extreme they get, the more insidious they will be to convert the kid, to make them a lifelong follower, the more insidious they'll be. So you have one of basically two options now. Either don't let the kid go over there ever again, or prepare them for the mental indoctrination that they will almost certainly try to push on the kid. Teach them critical thinking skills. Talk to them about the absurdity of what these people are, are going to try to teach them. Preempt it. Teach the kid how to think so that when they try to push these absurd ideas on them, it's not going to stick. That, that would be my advice. Hi, Owen. This is Garrett from Missouri. Um, I was going to ask you about some of the uh, pockets within social justice that might be a little bit cult-like. I know you kind of try to stay away from this, but uh, you've been talking about it a little bit more. And like you said, it's kind of unavoidable. And I heavily agree with you that social justice in and of itself isn't a cult, but there are cults within it. And the main idea I wanted to address is the idea that's believed within a lot of social justice circles that individual choice and individual thought and traditional liberal ideas are essentially inherently oppressive. The reasoning being um, on their end is that um, it allows you to take the quote-unquote path of least resistance, which is to indulge in uh, systemic racism or patriarchal ideas. And I was wondering what your thoughts on that was. A good, a really good example of this mentality is um, Anita Sarkeesian's speech, I Had to Learn How to Be a Feminist. Um, look that up and tell me if you think some of the things that she talks about in that video are a little bit unscientific and maybe kind of gets into bike model territory where like behavior modification and things like that. Um, and basically what your thoughts on Anita Sarkeesian are in general specifically. Uh, just let me know. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for the question. I appreciate that. I'm not going to get into it too much here. I will just say this. Back in 2016, the, in 2015, the atheist community on YouTube was taking a sharp turn away from atheism and plowing right into 
basically anti-SJW content. I followed them there for a while. Not terribly long, but I was, you know, I was a fan of, like, Thunderfoot and Armored Skeptic and The Amazing Atheist and all those other people. And I saw some of Thunderfoot's content, but I'll tell you the thing that really turned me away from Thunderfoot ultimately. And I can actually name drop and say this shit here because basically nobody watches this podcast or or gives a shit about what I say on here. So I can feel pretty free to say it. Thunderfoot started talking shit about the Reason Rally in 2016. And I had already purchased tickets to it when he started talking shit about it. I went there watching out for, you know, some sign of like SJWs going nuts or whatever. There was none of that. It was a normal convention intended to get the atheist movement recognized as a real voting block so that people would try to cater to the atheist vote. David Silverman spoke there and a whole bunch of other people. And I watched Thunderfoot's video on it and realized how completely off the deep end Thunderfoot had gone. I went back and watched some of his stuff on like Anita Sarkeesian and some other people and started to connect the dots and realize how completely obnoxious and full of shit the anti-SJW movement was. Not to say the SJW movement was any better. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying anti-SJWs in 2015, 2016 were so completely full of shit. I can't take anything they say or anything that they said at the time seriously. As far as Anita Sarkeesian goes, the only experience that I have with Anita Sarkeesian is what I picked up from like Thunderfoot videos and Sargon and who, whatever other anti-SJWs were talking about her at that time. Knowing how completely full of shit those people are now, I, I can't take it seriously, any of it. I, I've basically just thrown it all out and started from scratch. So if you're wondering what I think about Anita Sarkeesian, the answer is nothing. I know her name. That's pretty much it. I've never seen one of her videos before. One of these days, maybe I'll give it a watch, but it's a little bit old news to me anyways. Largely, I've kind of walked away from the anti-SJW slash SJW content. I really don't like covering it too much because, you know, it's very divisive and everything. And there is a cult-like mentality on each side of the playing field with anti-SJWs and SJWs. So I generally try to avoid it because I feel like it's a train wreck waiting to happen. Hello, my name is Devin. I'm calling from San Diego, California. I had kind of a a question, I guess, that kind of popped up last month, kind of due to Pride Month. Um, I had a friend who uh identifies as gay uh came to visit me and we hung out for the day and my dad who was like super right wing uh just couldn't let it go that i a straight man would be willing to hang out with a a homosexual so he kind of called me out and was being like oh are you gay too and stuff like that and i was just like i was kind of curious why does it seem like uh homosexuality is such a target for religions like i just don't see why they could target this group of people uh, almost like for no reason. Well, not almost. I mean, there is no reason for it. But just why does it seem like it's so, like that's just a group that they really target? Uh, I know uh, you might have talked about your channel before, but I just thought maybe you could elaborate and say if there either is a reason or if there really isn't a reason, if it has to do with just controlling and stuff. That would be really cool because I just feel terrible for the people who have to go through this or, you know. Anyways, thank you, and uh, have a nice day. Yeah, I appreciate that. I agree. Um, it cannot be easy to deal with a lot of this stuff. To answer the question, um, it largely comes down to tribalism. Finding people are different from you is the root of all hatred. In the end, people really are not that different from each other. Really, there, there is only one 
human species, we're all the same for all intents and purposes. Some of us are shorter, some of us are taller, some are big and small, but we're all the same. The only reason that people hate others ultimately is just tribalism. It comes down to tribalism. In the U.S., there's a slightly unique situation going on. I talked about this on my main channel not long ago, but in like the 80s and the 90s, Jerry Falwell and Billy Graham, I think, and some other people, some other big televangelist types, put a concerted effort into politicizing religion and, and shoving religion into politics as much as they possibly could. And they succeeded up until their effort in like the 80s and 90s. Abortion was like a, a Catholic thing. It was a weird Catholic thing. Protestants in the U.S. really couldn't give a shit about abortion. Like, just do what you need to do, free choice, and all that other good stuff. But after they politicized religion and got Christians recognized as a real voting block, they took some of these issues on as their pet issues and basically whipped their people up into a blood frenzy over some of this stuff. Homosexuality was one of those things, and so is abortion. But it all does come down to tribalism in the end. I don't know that humans have evolved past tribalism yet enough. We're always going to have somebody to hate, unfortunately, until we can finally get to the point that we basically mature as a species and realize that we're all the same. We will always have this on our backs. The biggest Chungai. How long do you think the religion of Jehovah's Witnesses will last? Well, let me put it this way. The Heaven's Gate cult had a mass exodus, if you will. March 26th of 1997, I believe. There were 39 people who died that night. This is, what, 23 years later now? There are still people who believe in the Heaven's Gate cult. They can't accept new members in because there isn't basically an original member on Earth anymore. Doe and T were the original members. They're gone now. So nobody else can join. They aren't going to proselytize. They aren't going to spread the word or try to bring people into the umbrella or any of that stuff. But there are still believers. Jehovah's Witnesses as a religion will be around forever. For the rest of time. Even if the religion itself it just falls to pieces and there is no leadership to speak of at all, there will always be believers. But I, I honestly think Jehovah's Witnesses will probably exist as an organization forever. They will continue coming up with excuses, excuse after excuse, to explain away their fuck-ups and their reasons for not having the dates right again and again, over and over and over again. They're coming up on a new prediction pretty soon that they're going to have to explain away in the next 20, 25 years, if I'm being generous. And what are they going to do? They're just going to explain that one away and continue bringing people into the umbrella, just as they always have. So I think Jehovah's Witnesses will always exist. The biggest Chungai, not the governing body and the rest, but the belief. Belief will always be here, I think. There will always be some nutbag somewhere who believes the craziest shit. Zolfner, Owen is a cult leader. <laughs> I try to constructively influence people to the best of my ability, so that would be inaccurate. Evan Inge, now is the Sith a cult? That's a good question. Are the Sith a cult? I think that you find cult-like influence on both sides. And like I said, I understand that you kind of have to have some level of control over somebody with such power, but there have to be more ethical ways of doing it than how the Jedi or the Sith deal with it. I just can't accept that. It's just wrong. Zolfner, evolution is as real as my father is alive. I assume your father is alive then. Nervardia, streaming on Monday again. Thank you. You're so full of shit, and you know you're full of shit. Like, you keep coming in here trying to tell me it's Monday, 
It's Sunday, people. It is Sunday. Everybody listening to the podcast, it's Sunday when this aired, FYI, everywhere in the world. So I don't want to hear any Monday shit. Zolfner, it's Sunday, the Lord's Day. Thank you. Finally, somebody is on my side on this situation. Zolfner, homosexuality is a target because Jesus clearly said they are going to burn in Matthew and Mark, I think. That must be ironic because obviously Jesus didn't say a word about it. Jesus never said a word about homosexuality. In fact, I could be wrong, but I believe the vi- I'm sorry, God. I, be- I almost called the Bible the virus. Isn't that funny? That Freudian slip there. I believe the Bible only mentions homosexuality a total of six times. I believe that's the case. Correct me if I'm wrong in the comments or whatever, but it says it a couple of times in the Old Testament, right next to the part where it talks about putting two literal seeds in the same literal hole, wearing cotton and linen blends, eating shellfish, don't don't lie with another man. Oh yeah, that's in there too. And then it mentions it again uh, later on in the New Testament. I think Paul talks about it like long after Jesus was already dead and Paul was trying to run the church. But like I said, Jesus never said a word about it. So take that for what you will. Zolfner says, nah, my father died. My mother vacuumed his ashes after she after she spilled them. Wow, that's intense. How do you clean spilled ashes other than a vacuum? I don't know. It's just an empty vessel anyways, honestly. Your dad is no longer in in that urn anyways. He never was. It's just an empty shell. That's the way I've always seen it. I've always talked about what I want to do with my body, like after I die, like what my what I want my girlfriend to do with my body after I die or whatever. And I, I've said, I actually care about this, but I shouldn't, it's pointless. Ultimately, the body is just an empty shell. There, I'm not there anymore. For all I care, you could give my body to a necrophiliac. Like, who cares? It really doesn't matter at all, right? Evan Inge, send a dollar super chat if you agree it's Monday. That's a lie. It's not Monday. It's Sunday. You know it's Sunday. Nevardia, myself and not Jaw Witness think it's Monday. Well, you are both incorrect, madam. You are both fucking wrong. Lawrence. It's Monday in the land down under. It's Sunday literally everywhere on the planet. It's Sunday. You can try to lie to me all you want, but this isn't working, and neither is the tooth fairy bullshit. It's the tooth bunny, and you all know it's the tooth bunny. When we come back, we're going to take a look at how West Virginia has been handling the coronavirus. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I want to take a look at is entitled, In West Virginia, 75 New COVID Cases Traced Back to Seven Churches. This is by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website. And before we actually start reading it, I just want to mention, obviously, I'm f- I, I live in West Virginia. I don't like to say I'm from West Virginia because I was not born here. I didn't live here my whole life. I, I try not to claim West Virginia as mine because I'm a little bit embarrassed by it sometimes, but... Yeah, that's that's where we're at right now. I live in West Virginia and 75 new cases trace back to seven churches. So let's give the article a read and see what it says. West Virginia is struggling to deal with COVID and the latest outbreaks are coming directly from churches that decided to gather in person without taking proper precautions. About 75 recent cases have been traced back to seven churches. Here's a quote. At least 48 people had tested positive for the coronavirus by Monday afternoon, all of whom were linked to the North Charleston Apostolic Church in Kanawha County. Charleston, West Virginia is the capital. It's like right in the center of the state, except it's a little bit further to the west. It's like west of center, basically. And it is one of the bigger cities in in West Virginia. I think the biggest cities in order, I believe, are Charleston and then Huntington and then Morgantown. And I think Charleston and Huntington are pretty close to each other. So I, I have to imagine if Charleston is dealing with like some serious idiots spreading the virus intentionally like this, 
Huntington's probably going to see some spillover from that. Let's continue reading. This is back to a quote. In Taylor County, Public Information Officer Sean Thorne said the four local cases were linked to a weekly Bible study for adults. According to Thorne, the church volunteered to close for two weeks without requests from the county health department. Okay, that's a plus. Julie Miller, the Boone County Health Department administrator, said four of the eight cases from her county's church are Boone County residents who were involved in a three-day vacation Bible school for children. I'm not sure where Boone County is specifically. The church volunteering to close for two weeks without requests from the county health department, that's that's too little and too late, honestly. They shouldn't have been open in the first fucking place. There is a worldwide pandemic going on right now with hundreds of thousands of people dead and possibly millions more to go. And these people are just going to church like everything's normal instead of holding it online. Is it is it because they're stupid? Is that why? Are they too stupid to figure out the Internet thing? Is it too complicated for them? Is that why they don't want to do the Zoom meetings? Is that why it is? All they can really figure out is how to get in their car and drive their way to church. They can't figure out that complicated internet thing. Is that what it is? Honestly, I've been really surprised by West Virginia up until now. The officials here and the colleges in my area have been on point. Impressive response from the colleges and everything, from the schools. The officials here have truly impressed me with how they have responded. West Virginia and Nebraska got their same case, on their same first case on the same day. And Nebraska is doing significantly worse than West Virginia right now. Granted, that's probably partly because West Virginia is a lot more sparsely populated. There aren't as many people packed in tiny little areas as there are in Nebraska, surprisingly. But either way, I really like West Virginia's response. They've done a fantastic job, truly fantastic job. The people, on the other hand, are just too stupid to save themselves sometimes. It, it, it kills me. I hear people running around West Virginia saying the South will rise again all the time. Do they not realize that they weren't part of the South? Like, do they not realize that, w- that West Virginia split off from Virginia specifically because it wanted to be part of the North? They must not realize that. Or they would just bury their head in shame for the embarrassment over saying something so stupid in this area. The people just drive me insane here. Good for the officials in West Virginia. They're really doing a good job. The people are dumb as dog shit. Let's continue reading. This is Hemet Mehta speaking. For the past two weeks, the state has had a face mask requirement for indoor gatherings when social distancing isn't possible, which is quite the loophole for anyone who wants to exploit it. But West Virginia Public Broadcasting says that there's no indication that Republican Governor Jim Justice's executive order applies to churches. One county administrator said it doesn't. It's not that these are the only COVID outbreaks in the state, but it's an example of a preventable reason for an outbreak. These churches did not need to meet in person. They chose to. And because of the irresponsible decision of church leaders, more people will suffer. I agree. Strangely, there is some popularity for Democrats in this state. Joe Manchin was our governor before Jim Justice, and he was a Democrat. And then Joe Manchin ran for Senate and he won. He is Joe Manchin is now one of our senators. I believe the other senator is Shelley Moore Capito and she's a Republican. But anyways, Joe Manchin is a Democrat senator. Jim Justice ran as a Democrat in 2016 for governor and won as a Democrat got all of the union votes and everything like that, and then flipped parties afterward. He was like, basically immediately after winning the governorship, he came out and said the Republican Party is the party for him. He loves Trump, and 
the Democrats left him behind and blah, 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 all this other shit. So I don't know. He's said some really stupid shit lately. Um, but he does the right things or has been doing the right things up until now. So except I'd really like to see a full-blown mask mandate and I'd like to see that loophole closed. Either way, like I said, West Virginia's officials seem to be doing a so-so job. The people are dumb as dog shit. Zolfner, $20. It's Sunday, and it will be until someone out-superchats me. Bloomberging this. Maybe I will superchat myself. Can I even do that? I bet I can. I bet it would let me superchat myself, and it would just take, like, YouTube's fees and stuff away, the bastards. Another $2 from the doctor. Today is day 15958075344. Praise Unix and Linux. Oh, interesting. I understand that number that you're you're spitting out there, but that's probably because I was in the tech world for a long time. That's that's pretty cool. Zolfner, there's only one time zone. Gods. When we come back, we're going to talk about QAnon losing faith in the master plan and where they go from here. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So I found this interesting article on rightwingwatch.org about the QAnon conspiracy theory. I talked about it in a video last week on my main channel, I believe, or recently on my main channel anyways. The bottom line with the QAnon conspiracy is there is this 4chan poster that calls himself Q Clearance Patriot, and he started posting a bunch of stuff about Hillary Clinton is about to be arrested. She's currently being detained, claimed to be a member of the government with inside information and a whole bunch of other really weird, bizarre stuff. And they built up this whole lore around it. And it's turned into a full-blown cult at this point. I'm very comfortable now calling it a cult. It's a conspiracy cult. So what is going on with QAnon and Donald Trump, and the pandemic at this immediate moment. There's this QAnon conspiracy theorist named Deanna Lorraine, I guess, and she had something to say about it. Let's listen to the video and see what she had to say. A lot of people say this is for optics, okay? You know, there's the theory that this is all just optics. Look weak when you're really strong and in control. Trust the plan, trust the plan. But, you know, as much as I want to trust the plan, and I've had very much faith since day one, it's getting a little bit dicey, let's be honest. And it doesn't look like patriots are in control and winning here. Um, I want to trust the plan, but at the same time, we've got three months till the election, and we have to look at the reality of it, and the reality doesn't look... It doesn't look good for us. The reality looks like we're, we're getting our freedoms infringed on more every single day. Okay, uh, let me just pause there for one second. So this person is saying she's getting her freedoms infringed upon basically every single day. How? This, this is a, an extreme right-wing conspiracy cult. How is the right-wing getting their rights taken away? What rights are they getting taken away? I, I could make a solid argument for left-wing people getting their rights taken away in in the sense of protests, for example. We've got people being arrested and beaten for peacefully protesting. There are peaceful protesters out there being arrested and beaten. So that's a fair argument to make, but how are right-wing conservatives getting their rights taken away in this country right now? I'm not connecting the dots on this. Is now, uh, we can't even talk about that anymore on the internet. Uh, what she's talking about here, she's referencing the fact that QAnon accounts were just basically deleted from Twitter recently, like 7,000 accounts or something like that. And she's saying you can't talk about it on Twitter or talk about it on the internet anywhere, blah, blah, blah. It's not actually true. You can talk about it. 
on the internet, you can talk about it on your own website, your own platforms. If you're using other people's platforms like Twitter or Facebook, for example, you cannot expect to have free open access to whatever. They have the right as a private company to kick you out, basically. Now, is, is that right? I'm not making any claims as to whether or not that's right right now. I'm not going to address that. I'm just saying you do have the ability to create your own website. Uh, let's continue. No social media, Facebook, Twitter. If we talk about it or if we're even associated with anything, anything that, uh, that has been mentioned in the last couple of years, we are going to get deplatformed permanently. That's not accurate. I'm talking about it right now, and they're not deplatforming me permanently. Uh, I talked about it on my main channel, and they demonetized it. But I'm going to put forth the argument that if I had changed a couple of things in it, they probably wouldn't have demonetized it either. They aren't preventing people from talking about it at all. They're preventing people from promoting misinformation, basically. That's that's pretty much what it is. So I'm sorry, but it doesn't look like patriots are in control. We're just sitting back and sitting back and waiting and waiting. But um, this is like a save our ship situation. I think I don't think this is this is optics. I I don't I don't really think that this is just optics. I would uh, let me explain the idea behind what she's saying here. Q's claims, like I said, Q is an actual poster, basically, on 4chan and now on their own website, I think. Q is claiming that there is a cabal behind the scenes trying to take Donald Trump down. And Trump is basically pulling the strings to create this scenario where he's going to have all of the bad people in government arrested and taken off to jail and he's going to clean house. He's going to fix everything up. And he gives little winks to the press, too. Like, he'll say, a storm's coming, randomly, with no context. That is something that QAnon... That's a dog whistle that QAnon picked up on and buys into, basically. Things like that are Donald Trump's little ways of winking to conspiracy theorists. So the grand plan, basically, as QAnon is saying here is, or as Deanna Lorraine is saying, is that Donald Trump is going to save everybody and fix everything. And it may look a little bit rough right now, but he's really working behind the scenes to fix everything. And pretty soon you're going to see everything is going to change. So she's saying she's basically losing faith in that plan. She says, I'm trying to have faith in the grand plan here, but, you know, it's not working out in our favor. It's getting really bad for us now. So let's continue. To believe that it's just optics, but what kind of optics is this? That we're losing control? I know that he's upsetting a lot of his base right now with his actions and with him, you know, starting these uh, coronavirus press conferences again, yet going along with the lies and not actually exposing the truth. So the claim is that the coronavirus is fake. That's what they're saying. The Q Anon group believes the coronavirus is a hoax, and they see Donald Trump going along with it, and it confuses them. They, they, they're starting to think like, well, he just has to pretend that it's real in front of the press, but behind the scenes, he's doing things to try to fix the situation and bring it down and expose it as the lie that it is. That's what she's saying. Um, tweeting out that masks are patriotic. Yeah, Trump tweeted out recently that masks are patriotic, did a complete 180 on masks, says that it's basically a good thing to wear masks, trying to encourage people to wear them. I think that took a lot of people by surprise, not least of which is me. I was taken by surprise. I did not expect Donald Trump to do a 180 on that. But... QAnon believes that it's a hoax, believes that Trump knows that it's a hoax, and is baffled by the fact that he would say that patriots would wear face masks. Why would he say that if he believed that it was a hoax? It doesn't really go along with the narrative that Q is building. 
Thankfully, we haven't had any measurable actions taken against this huge big tech censorship. We've only gotten more and more constrained and, uh, and suppressed. Another thing to mention here, Donald Trump was talking about uh, basically repealing Section 230 so that it would pretty much make big tech platforms like Twitter and Facebook responsible as publishers uh, for everything that their user base ever said, ever. And that was Trump's attack on them. That wasn't going to benefit Trump. That wasn't going to benefit the world in any way, shape, or form. That was purely retaliation. That was purely to ruin Twitter. That was their intent. That was the intent behind it, to ruin Twitter. I think he pushed through an executive order on it, but now it has to be checked by the courts and things like that before it can actually go into effect. And it probably won't because it's an extremely harmful move that doesn't help anybody including donald trump it's purely retaliatory so anyway that's what she had to say about it let's give the article a read that that's connected to this and see what it has to say again this is on rightwingwatch.org this is by kyle mantilla the title is QAnon conspiracy theorist deanna lorraine is struggling to trust the plan quote unquote during her live stream broadcast yesterday, Trump cultist, QAnon conspiracy theorist, and failed congressional candidate Deanna Lorraine expressed doubts about the QAnon community's mantra that its members must always trust the plan and keep the faith that President Donald Trump is successfully working behind the scenes to take down the deep state and its global network of satanic. Oh, God. Demonetized. Regardless of everything that may appear to contradict that core belief. Lorraine, who was already upset with Trump for wearing a mask during a recent visit to Walter Reed National Medical Center, said that it was difficult for her to keep believing that Trump's recent statements and behavior were simply optics, quote-unquote, meant to distract mainstream America, because when she looks at the world, it doesn't look like patriots are in control and winning here. A lot of people say this is for optics, she said. There's the theory that this is all just optics. Look weak when you're really strong and in control. Trust the plan. Trust the plan. But you know as much as I want to trust the plan, and I've had very much faith since day one. It's getting a little bit dicey. Let's be honest, and it doesn't look like patriots are in control and winning here. I want to trust the plan, but at the same time, we've got three months until the election, and we have to look at the reality of it. And the reality doesn't look good for us, Lorraine added, citing Twitter's recent crackdown on QAnon accounts. Q is now, we can't even talk about that anymore on the internet. No social media, Facebook, Twitter. If we talk about it, if we're even associated with anything that has been mentioned in the past, in the last couple of years, we are going to get deplatformed permanently. So I'm sorry, but it doesn't look like patriots are in control. We're just sitting back and sitting back and waiting and waiting. But this is like a save our ship situation, I think. I don't think that this is optics. I don't really think that this is just optics. I would love to believe it's just optics, but what kind of optics is this? That we're losing control? The bottom line behind all of this is that at least this one QAnon member is losing faith in the master plan. That's a step in the right direction. My big question in all of this is, what happens when Trump leaves office? Even if it's in four years, what happens? Trump has put a concerted effort into building the government and the officials into a loyal force for him. Everybody in the government is loyal to him specifically. The FBI director, the attorney general, everybody is loyal to Trump. Not to the Republican Party, not to America, but to Donald Trump. What happens to those people in the government, those judges, and the normal citizens when Trump leaves office? Like, the whole facade is going to fall apart. I seriously don't know what it's going to look like. I, I don't know what's going to happen when Trump leaves office. It's going to be really, really weird when people's, like, religious faith in the guy is dashed to pieces. It's going to be really interesting. Zolfner, I'm only half listening. You're deplatformed? Who do I need to call? I like your stupid wrong opinions. I'm not deplatformed. I haven't been. I seriously doubt that I will ever be deplatformed because I 
play by the rules, do things in a nice, calm, civil way, and I'm not a moral monster. And so my chances of being deplatformed are significantly lower than they would be otherwise, basically. Uh, Deplatforming is an issue. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, and I'm not saying that it's not a problem when it does. I'm just saying I will almost certainly never be deplatformed, actually. Zolfner, unfortunately, I'm voting Biden. I traded my vote for sexual favors. I keep my word. Wow, you're voting for Biden. Congratulations, man. Uh, Is that real? Are you actually voting Biden? I'm so happy happy for you if you are. I don't like Biden. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't like Biden. I liked Bernie, but I like Biden a hell of a lot more than I liked Trump or Hillary or any of the others. So yeah, I'm voting Biden and I'm going to do it with a smile on my face this time. When I voted Hillary, I did it with vomit in my mouth. With Biden, it's going to be a smile on my face. Zolfner, now I feel challenged to deplatform you. You won't do it. You're too scared. Anyway, I'll tell you what, let's take another short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a huge blow to the ex-Jehovah's Witness community when the religion won a big court case. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I want to take a look at is entitled Jehovah's Witnesses Win Big in Settlement Involving Their Propaganda Films. This is by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website, so let's give it a read. The Jehovah's Witnesses have successfully stopped a whistleblowing website from publicizing their propaganda material. It's the culmination of a nearly three-month legal battle between the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of Pennsylvania, which oversees the Witnesses, and Truth and Transparency, which posted the content. I think it used to be called Faith Leaks. This case revolved around the annual convention of Jehovah's Witnesses, which typically involves the members of the faith's governing body giving speeches to millions of witnesses worldwide and showing high-quality films highlighting their beliefs. In 2019, 74 videos from that event were leaked online, then posted at faithleaks.org. Truth and Transparency, which oversees... Faith Leaks, and is run by founders Ryan C. McKnight and Ethan G. Dodge, took that material, researched it, and published an investigative piece on the matter. The witnesses, however, said they owned the copyright on those 74 original motion pictures. This was essentially the equivalent of reposting a Marvel movie on YouTube and saying it's for the purposes of journalism. But the argument could be made that there was legit news value to reposting what Jehovah's Witness believers around the world were being taught. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses, I've talked about this in the past, but basically they have like three conventions a year, right? They have what they call a one-day assembly, special day assemblies, what it's also called, a two-day circuit assembly, and a three-day district convention, right? So the one-day assembly has a total of maybe 10 congregations worth of people all coming to like a an arena or a civic center and sitting through like eight hours of sermons per day uh, just for that one single day. And then the circuit assembly is two-day and it has maybe 20 congregations. It really varies from circuit to circuit. And they sit there Saturday and Sunday through about eight hours worth of sermons, and they'll have baptisms and stuff like that. And then the district assembly is everybody basically in the tri-state area, and it's three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They have baptisms and and a whole bunch of other stuff. Usually you're going to get a hotel room because it's going to be maybe as far as a six-hour drive away sometimes, the convention center will be. So you'll get a hotel room and you'll hang out with other Jehovah's Witnesses and it's a grand old time. Anyways, at these conventions, they have these videos that they play and some of them get really fucking weird, really weird. In fact, I've covered some of them on my channel. The famed bunker videos were originally aired at the Jehovah's Witnesses convention. So I guess what Faith Leaks did is they took these videos and they uploaded them to their website so that people could download them and criticize them, pretty much. That's basically what what happened. And Jehovah's Witnesses, lo and behold, won the lawsuit 
forcing faith leaks to take it down. There was no criticism or parody involved in the repost, basically. If they had uploaded the videos specifically to criticize them, that'd be one thing. But they didn't. Uh, personally, I believe that they should be allowed to upload them, that Faith Leaks should be allowed to upload them in their entirety so that they can be criticized. How are you supposed to criticize something for, like, parody or news reporting or whatever if you don't have access to it? So I don't know. It's a complicated legal situation, but I obviously fall on the side of the apostates in this situation. I fall on the side of Faith Leaks in this situation, though I do understand that there it's a complicated legal situation. So anyway, let's continue reading and see what else they had to say here. This is Hemet Mehta. The Watchtower Society disagreed. According to their lawsuit filed in early May, this is a quote, McKnight and Dodge personally participated in and supervised and directed the infringing acts described above. Indeed, they personally conceived of and directed and approved all key aspects of TFF's infringing activities. They were the moving force behind those infringing acts. This is back to Hemant Mehta. While no specific cost was listed in the lawsuit, the witnesses wanted costs and attorney's fees for each video, even the ones with no real content. The lawsuit also said, almost comically, the, that Watchtower has suffered and will continue to suffer irreparable injury not fully compensable in monetary damages and is therefore entitled to an injunction enjoining defendants from engaging in their infringing activities. In other words, the Jehovah's Witnesses were suffering because more people might have had a chance to watch their propaganda films. Whatever the case, those videos are now on the Witnesses' own website where they can be seen without any kind of criticism or context. Fascinating. So the videos ended up going up anyways. I feel like the, the Watchtower Society, the governing body, likes to throw their weight around and fight court battles for copyright and things like that just to get one over on apostates in some ways. And it's just really disgusting to see how the governing body acts from the outside. Like, from the inside, if I heard about any of this stuff, I would hear about it from the perspective of the governing body, if I heard about it in the first place. Now I'm starting to see what the governing body does, like the kind of behavior that they engage in. And it, it is disgusting. Like some of the stuff they do is just wrong. I don't know how they justify this stuff to themselves. Like how do they go to sleep at night? This must eat them up inside. If it doesn't, then they, they have to be monsters. Let's continue reading. So which side would win? The side claiming copyright infringement or the side citing the, news, the newsworthiness of the leaked content? We won't find out. Today, Truth and Transparency announced they had settled the case, giving the witnesses pretty much everything they wanted. The final settlement agreement has not yet been made public, but here are the big takeaways. All Watchtower material will come down from TFF's websites. All Watchtower material, not just those videos, but everything from the Watchtower Society. That is a devastating blow. McKnight and Dodge promised to never again publish copyrighted material owned by Watchtower Society. The two men owe the witnesses $15,000 in damages. Okay, that's nothing ultimately when you think about like the scope of what we're dealing with. It could have been in the millions. Truth and Transparency said this in a statement. The result is absolutely agonizing and has been emotionally, mentally, and physically taxing on us as it goes against our core values. Additionally, the irony that we've not been able to say anything publicly until now, causing tremendous frustration for our supporters, is not lost on us. We simply were not at liberty to do so while the settlement was being negotiated, which added to the stress and agony of the situation. This is back to Hemant Mehta. So why settle when there was a strong case to be made to publicize this Jehovah's Witness content. McKnight told me it was purely a financial decision. A fundraiser for their lawsuit took in over $13,000, but he said they needed about 40000 to put up a real fight, even to get a motion to dismiss the Witness's lawsuit. Without the full amount and without a larger legal organization, 
taking on the work pro bono, settling the case became the best and arguably only option. McKnight told me that most of the money they raised will go to their lawyer. The rest they owe will come from donations they had raised in the past and personal money. That fucking sucks. I'm sorry for these guys. I wish there was something that I could do. I wish that we could reverse this. I wish we could really fight this battle. He also added, at this time, we are re-evaluating the future of the organization. That doesn't mean the website's shutting down, though. Here's McKnight. This is a quote. With the lawsuit behind us, we're going to resume publishing ASAP. We have stories that have been on hold during this ordeal. We're still re-evaluating the specifics of the long-term future of the organization at this time, and once we have a clear picture of what that will look like, we will let everyone know. This is back to Hemant Mehta. There's irony in the idea that a religious organization would work this hard to stop people from seeing their own promotional content, but there's obviously a difference between people giving away copies of the Bible and reposting videos filmed specifically for the witnesses' events. If it's my own money on the line, I'm not sure I would want to risk taking on a wealthy organization when the financial repercussions could be severe. Jehovah's Witnesses, generally speaking, they really honestly, obviously didn't give a shit about this content being out there. It's already out there on their website anyways. They don't fucking care if people can access that information. What they care about is destroying apostates. They care about destroying somebody who they have labeled as their enemy. Somebody who is critical of them. Do anything they can to take them down. That's what this is really all about. $15,000, like the Watchtower Society needs that. Well, I mean, they, you know, they're in some serious legal battles, so they pretty much need everything they can get. But they just sold their headquarters like a few years ago for like $1.3 billion or something. They don't need $15,000 from these guys. It's, it's so devastating to me that they actually fought this battle and won. It, it, it's heartbreaking for these guys. I'm so sorry for these guys. Let's continue reading. There has been criticism, however, from other Jehovah's Witness watchdogs who believe TTF should have fought this case harder. Lloyd Evans, former Jehovah's Witness and a longtime critic of the Watchtower Society, sent me this statement. This is a quote from Lloyd Evans. As someone who's been on the receiving end of a cease and desist letter from Watchtower's legal team, I have every sympathy for Ryan and Ethan's plight and the stressful situation they found themselves in. These guys went into this with the best of intentions and clearly bit off more than they could chew, perhaps underestimating the vehemence with which the Jehovah's Witness leadership would shut down any unsanctioned use of their materials that could be considered dubious from a fair use standpoint. And even then, even if it's clearly within fair use, they'll still fuck with you sometimes. That said, I really wish Ryan and Ethan would have gone about their fundraising campaign differently and with greater honesty and transparency. I supported their cause by pointing people in their direction in multiple videos on my channel because I assumed, according to their website, that they were serious about taking the fight to Watchtower. If they'd been fully transparent about their intentions and made clear that funds would be used in the settlement if their target wasn't met, that would be one thing, although I'm sure they realize that they would have raised less money with such a significant caveat. But to take such a large sum and then not use it for the reason advertised is highly questionable and will make it harder for ex-Jehovah's Witness activists to attempt crowdfunding initiatives in the future. When you are an ex-Jehovah's Witness, which many but not necessarily all of the backers were, the last thing you want to see is money you've given to help fight an organization that has victimized you through shunning and other means to effectively have your money surrendered to it without a shot being fired. I understand they're saying that a majority of the funds raised were consumed by their own lawyers, but with no transparency regarding the exact amounts in their official statement, this will be scant reassurance. I fully sympath... God damn, I'm I swear my mouth just stops working after 1017. I fully sympathize and agree with backers who are saying that their money should be returned if it wasn't used for the purpose for which it was requested. Oh, wow. McKnight said in response that they didn't have a choice. We raised money to help defend ourselves against the lawsuit. We made it clear that we needed at least 40k to fight this lawsuit in court. As we fell short, we had no choice but for a defense to be our settlement. 
This is not what we wanted, but we literally had no other options. This is back to Hemant Mehta. I'm personally sympathetic to McKnight's argument. As much as his supporters wanted this court battle to continue, that's incredibly tough to pull off without proper funding. I don't think there's any hypocrisy or malfeasance involved in saying you're raising money for a legal battle that eventually results in a settlement. I hope FaithLeaks continues going strong. In 2018, just to give one example, leaked documents revealed how the witnesses were mishandling cases. But that situation involved leaked documents that fell into their lap, not propaganda films uploaded by the owners themselves. That was a long article. I want to say this. Um, Lloyd is very unhappy, apparently, with how the money is being used. And, and I understand. Uh, I'm not really in his situation, and I imagine that he pushed some of those backers over to them, hoping that they were going to fight a real legal battle and win. But I, I truly can't blame the guys for for settling. They had no choice. They didn't have the money to give to the lawyers. If they wanted to fight a real legal battle, then they would have needed more money, bottom line. They only had 13k. They needed 40k just for the the opening stuff basically. It was just a matter of not having enough money. It's just a real shitty situation. I'm real sorry to hear that we lost this one, and I fear that it sets a bad precedent. The fact that we settled in this case is a bad precedent. That's where I'm going to end it for the night. I appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.